What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to episode four of the Bullpen Chatter. Today we've got a great show coming your way and I'm actually sitting down with a good friend of mine that I trained with over the past few years. He is a former Nyack Trojan and current TCU right-handed pitcher. Let's welcome Harrison Beathy to the call. Thanks for coming on, Harrison. Ian, thanks for having me, man. And I got to say, uh, this is my first podcast, so I'm, I'm excited and I'm ready to rock and roll. Hey, glad to have you on it, man. So let's just jump right in. So kind of... Walk us through your journey of how you got to TCU. Yeah, man. So kind of a long story, really. But uh, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, raised here, lived here my entire life. Uh, Grew up an athlete, grew up just an overall sports fan. A little bit of of a fanatic. Um, I was, you know, obsessed with all things sports growing up. Um, And, you know, played baseball, played basketball, played football, and really growing up, my first love was, was football. You know, I was obsessed with the sport. Um, you know, it's hard I've, not to be in Texas. Yeah, it really is, man. But, uh, you know, I've, I've watched like every Super Bowl ever. Um, <laughs> I grew up reading, reading football books and then just really obsessed with, with sports in general. Um, so I've always been an athlete and I've always played, played baseball. And I think baseball is probably my, the sport that I was naturally the best at. Um, so, you know, growing up, I went to high school here in Fort Worth and, um, you know, freshman year rolls around and, and I've always dreamed of, of being a professional football player and being a college football player. And uh, the summer going into my freshman year of high school, um, I had like a four inch growth spurt. So I went from like 5'11", a buck 65 to like 6'3", about a buck 70. I didn't put, put on much weight, but I, I grew in height. And uh, so I got on the football field. I'm six three, a buck seventy, <laughs> and you know you're playing Texas high school football at that size. It really, really doesn't work out that well. Uh, so you know I was I was on the freshman team, and and I was the third string quarterback. Um, I wasn't I wasn't crazy athletic, wasn't crazy fast, wasn't crazy shifty. Had a good arm, but um, it, it became evident to me really quick that football probably wasn't going to be the sport that I would, you know, go professional in. So, uh, after that year ended, um, or after that season ended, I decided that I was only going to be a baseball player. And like I said, my natural talent was, was on the baseball field. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty good at that naturally and, and just God given there. So decided, you know, baseball is going to be the way to go. Um, so play my freshman year of baseball. Uh, at Arlington Heights High School. I'm on the freshman team. You know, I'm, I'm playing outfield. I'm a pitcher. I'm, I'm pretty good for the most part. Nothing special. Uh, sophomore year rolls around. I'm on JV. Kind of the same thing, playing outfield, being a pitcher. Just, you know, being a good, solid player, but but nothing crazy, nothing jumping off the jumping off the map. Um, and then junior year rolls around, and, and I'm kind of expected to be, you know, a, a big part of the varsity, uh, especially on the mound. And for me... For whatever reason, I just I just wasn't wasn't good at pitching, um, and I don't know if it was a mental thing. Uh, it could have been a, a bit of a physical thing, but for whatever reason, I just didn't perform at the varsity level. So I had two starts on varsity, and both of them were just just not good at all. So I got sent down to JV. Uh, so I was on the JV as a junior, where I was I was the ace of the JV, but I was a junior, so that doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and at the time, man, we didn't really have radar guns, but the the few times that I did get gunned, I was like, you know, 80 to 82, touching 83, um, and this is my junior year of high school, and so that year goes around, finish JV, I get called up for playoffs, uh, we make a pretty deep playoff run, and I actually made made an appearance in the playoffs on the mound, but, uh, you know, not, not necessarily what I was hoping for, not the season that I was planning on having, and... Not only was I not performing on the field, but off the field, I just I just didn't work hard at baseball at all. The only time I even thought about baseball was when I was either at practice or at the game. And as soon as practice was over, I was out those gates and, and I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't in the weight room. I wasn't doing anything to help my cause physically. And that's you know part of the reason why I wasn't good. Um, and then my senior year rolls around and... Uh, you know, our, our ace was Blair Henley, and, and we were looking for a Saturday guy, and, and my coach was practically begging me, just handing me the ball uh, to be that Saturday guy, and I, and I got two starts, and, you know, both of them were just subpar, you know, I was, I was walking guys, uh, no competitive attitude on the mound, you know, just bad breaking ball, velocity was, was 80 to 83, um, just, just not good, so after those second, or after those first two starts, he set me down, and he said, dude, I, I can't keep handing you the ball, because you know, you're just not contributing the way I thought you would. And this is my senior year at high school. Mm-hmm. And um, that year goes on, and I, and I log a couple more innings, but again, not the year that I want on the mound. Um, I played a pretty good outfield. I was a pretty good hitter, batting in the middle of the order. I think I ended up hitting like 350 that senior year. So I had a, I had a good year. It was fun. We won a lot of games. And and uh, towards the end of that season, it kind of occurred to me that, you know, I don't, I don't have a place to play. Uh, I know I want to keep playing baseball, and I know I want to be a collegiate baseball player, but right now I just, I just don't have anywhere to go. And so uh, I talked to my high school coach, and I said, hey, can you help me out? Can you, reach me? can you reach out to any schools that you know, junior colleges, you know, whatever the case may be? And, and he obviously said, sure, you know, I'll do what I can. And, uh, and I knew my future was on the mound. I knew that I, I wasn't talented enough to be a, a collegiate outfielder, especially at the high level. Mm-hmm. So he reaches out to a bunch of junior colleges, not really any of them get back. Um, and so I kind of do my own marketing and I go out and I start emailing schools. I start emailing Sanjack, McLennan, Grayson, you know, the top JUCOs in Texas and, and just none of them respond. And so here I am at the end of my senior year of high school. I still don't have a college to go to. And, um, and so I kind of shift my focus and I say, okay, well, you know, the top JUCOs don't want to get back to me. Let's try some mid-level to low-level JUCOs in the state. So I emailed a bunch of those. A couple of them get back to me. Um, and the only two that ended up offering me was, was Galveston Junior College and a school called Ranger Junior College. Okay. And literally how, how stupid my mind was at that point, the, the biggest factor and really the only factor that played into my decision was which one was closer to home. <laughs> I didn't think about the coaching staff. I didn't think about the pedigree. I didn't think about their development. I didn't think about anything. I just, which one's closer to home? So I ended up going with Ranger College which is in a town called Ranger, Texas. Uh, It's about an hour and a half west of Fort Worth. Um, You know, population like 2,500. And honestly, I'd be willing to bet that when school isn't in session, the population of that town is probably 1,000. I mean, it is is a blink of an eye town. It's it's tiny, um, out in the middle of nowhere. So commit there and still... You know, I'm six foot four, 180 pounds at the time. I'm skinny as a rail. I have no strength in my body whatsoever. Um, Fastball is anywhere from, you know, 79 to, to 82, 83 miles an hour. Subpar pitchability. Like I said, no breaking ball, no competitive edge. So I get out there 
uh, in Ranger, Texas, Ranger College, and I actually had a pretty good fall for the most part, numbers-wise, but it was evident to me and my coach that I wasn't going to be able to get good hitters out. Um, I just I, I just wasn't, wasn't good. I wasn't dynamic. I just wasn't ready to pitch. Um, so I walked into uh, his office uh, at the beginning of the spring before the games had started, and we kind of sat down, and he, he was just like, man, I, I think a red shirt would be good for you. And at the time, it kind of crushed me because I wanted to play. You know, nobody wants to hear that they're going to get red shirted. Right. Um, nonetheless, at a really bad junior college that ended up going 16 at 40 that year. So, you know, I say, okay, that's fine. All red shirt. Um, you know, and honestly, I was fine with it because I didn't really want to waste a year of eligibility um, if I wasn't going to pitch very much and if, you know, if I was going to be on a bad team. And so that whole time, that whole spring, while the team was off playing or doing what they were doing, I kind of shifted my focus from um, wanting to be wanted to be a good pitcher. I shifted my focus into wanting to be a better athlete as opposed to just a pitcher. So really, I just got in the weight room, man. I just started, I didn't know anything about you know, movement patterns. I didn't know anything about functional strength. I didn't know anything about weightlifting except for what I had learned in football. So I really just got in the weight room and I, I started deadlifting, uh, started back squatting, you know, your, your meat and potatoes kind of lifts, um, barbell bench, bicep curls. I actually put on about 10 to 15 pounds. I probably got up to about a buck 95. Um, and also at that time, uh, one of my buddies, Cameron Leff, who, who you know from P3, uh, he was also at Ranger with me, and he also redshirted as well. So we were kind of hand in hand in our training. I didn't. He, uh, I didn't know that Cam went to Ranger there. He did, yeah. So that's that's okay. kind of how that's how we met. And honestly, like that man saved my career, as as we'll get into a little bit later. But um, so yeah, he redshirted and I redshirted, and uh, he introduced me to, to driveline weighted balls. I had no clue what they were. I'd never heard of them. And at first I was like, you know, what, you know, what is this new, like new age training, new fad? Like, I didn't really think it worked, but at the time I was kind of at a loss. I was like, well, I have nothing else to lose. So started throwing those, um, stayed in the weight room, getting getting a little bit stronger, getting bigger, putting on some mass and really didn't see a velocity uptake. I mean, I, I did a little bit. I was, I was now, you know, comfortably 82, 84, touching 85, but you know, nothing special. And, uh, the end of that season, rolled around and I had my, my end of the year meeting with coach and I knew I didn't want to go back to Ranger, um, both for my sake and, and just, I just didn't want to be out there in Ranger, Texas. It just wasn't, uh, conducive to the environment that I wanted. Um, I wanted to be a division one baseball player. I wanted to get drafted. I had, I had high goals and aspirations and, and, uh, you know, what they were doing out there just didn't align with that. And so, and I went in and I said, you know, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm going to, I'm going to move on. I didn't have a place to go. I didn't have another school. I didn't have a plan, but I just knew that I didn't want to be in Ranger anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I go home, and I got about a week a week at home, and I really had no clue what I was going to do. And uh, and once again, Cameron left. He gives me a call, and he goes, hey, man, I'm playing summer baseball out here in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and the team that I'm playing for needs a couple arms if you're interested. And, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Like, that sounds fun. Get to play baseball in Oregon. You know, I, I, I wasn't thinking about anything. So I go out to Oregon. Um, you know, I pitch well for the most part. And, I'm, again, I'm like 82, 84, you know, nothing crazy. 
And once again, I find myself in a situation where I'm halfway through the summer and I have no clue where I'm going to school. <laughs> and I mean, that just kind of shows you how stupid I was at the time and how much or how little thought I put into everything. And so I'm, I'm out there in Oregon and I'm, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, okay, well, I need to start emailing schools because I don't know where I'm going. And so I start emailing schools out there on the West Coast in Oregon, uh, some in California, one in Washington. Uh, and then a bunch in Texas and well as well. And the same thing happened. I just didn't get any responses um, except for a, except for two schools in California, two JUCOs in California. And I really wasn't crazy about that either. And me and Cam are talking, and, and he's originally from, uh, I think he's from uh, Des Moines, Des Moines, yeah. Iowa. And so he had known of a couple of JUCOs in Iowa and he's, he's talking to me one night and he goes, Hey man, I think I got a school for you. And I'm like, uh, Oh God, like, where is this school? And he goes, it's in Mason city, Iowa. And I'm like, say less, bro. I don't, I'm not going to Iowa. Like just stop talking because I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like I'll quit before I go play baseball in Iowa. Like I hate the cold. It's a million miles away from home. I'm not doing it. And, you know, Cam being the guy that he is, and I thank God that he is this way, is he just, he kept talking about it. And he oh, kept yeah. trying to convince me to go there. And he's talking about Coach Travis Herger, and he's talking about the environment. He's talking about their pedigree, and he's talking about how good they are with pitchers and how they develop arms. And, and he's like, dude, take a look at your body right now. You're six foot four. You're skinny as a rail. You know, you have the body to throw 95 miles an hour. You, you have the potential to do that. And, and I agreed with him, but I was still to a point where I was like, I'm not going to Iowa. That's just not happening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought about it a little bit more. I started researching NIAC uh, a little bit more. And, and one night I, I specifically remember this one night we were at a bowling alley and it was me, him and uh, a couple of other guys on our team. And we're driving home from this bowling alley and he's looking at me and he's like, dude, you need to go to NIAC. Like, trust me, you need to go to NIAC. And so I finally emailed Coach Herg, and, and I told Cam, I was like, all right, if I email Coach Herg, will you stop talking about it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, for sure, man. And so I emailed Coach Herg, and he's the first coach that ever got back to me within 24 hours. I mean, he th I think he got back to me within like eight hours. And basically, I told him who I was, you know, my experience, where I was from. And the first email was, it wasn't, tell me about your high school stats. It wasn't, who can I, you know, what coaches can I talk to? The first email was, what kind of guy are you? You know, what are you, what are your goals? What are you willing to do to accomplish those goals? And I mean, that was different than any other coach that I've ever reached out to. And I thought that was special. And, and I, I responded and I, you know, I told him, I, I said, I want to, I want to get drafted. I want to play division one. I, I want to be a big leader. You know, I want to be a hall of famer. Like I, I had these big goals and the next email was, all right, let's do it. Like, I got a spot for you. I don't have any scholarship money, but I got a roster spot for you if you want it. So thought about it a little bit more. Still didn't want to go to Iowa, but, um, you know, I kind of decided, you know, if I'm going to sell out for this baseball thing, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to really do it. And so I came back uh, from Oregon, and me and my dad actually drove up to Mason City, Iowa, 12 hours to visit, uh, to visit up there at Nyack. And I, first time I ever met Coach Herg, I mean, he was just the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, shook my hand, was just super energetic, so talked me and, dad, me and my dad through a PowerPoint, showed us around the entire school, was just a fantastic dude, and uh, at the end of the visit, he asked us if we wanted to go get, go get lunch, um, 
and for all the Nyack dudes listening, we we went to Poncheros, the same Poncheros that we would go to. But uh, <laughs> so he he asked me and my dad if we wanted to go get lunch, and we're like, yeah, sure. You know, we drove twelve hours up here. You know, least we could do is have some lunch with you. And me and my dad get in the car, and we kind of look at each other for like two or three seconds. My dad goes, "I think this is the place," and I'm like, "I think you're exactly right." <laughs> and so we get we get to Poncheros, and we finish up eating, and then. You know, we got in the car and went home, and I called Coach Herb once we got home, and I, and I said, I'm in. You know, I'm committing to NIAC. Um, and, you know, it's, he's like, great. So, a month later, or, I mean, this is, like, late July. So, like, literally, so like, At this point, later, had he seen you play at all? He had never seen me play. The only thing he'd seen from me is video. Okay. Yeah. So, and then he'd met me in person, so he kind of saw, like, my, you know, my physical, you know, I was a tall guy or whatever, and he saw the projection, but... He had never seen me play in person. He'd only seen video, and he'd only seen my my college stats. But um, the biggest thing he cared about for me was like just my character as a person, and and you know what I was willing to do to what I was willing to sacrifice to you know to get where I wanted to go. But so I get back to uh, to Texas, and I call him, and I, I tell him I'm coming. And a couple of weeks later, me and my mom are driving up to to Mason City, Iowa, to to drop me off in this foreign land. Um, you know, that I'd never, ever been to. I didn't know anybody within the next seven states around. Like, it was crazy. And I got there, and I was scared to death, you know? Like, I was I was up there in Iowa, Mason City, Iowa. I had no clue where I was. Um, I, you know, I felt a little lonely, and it was just, it was just hard for me at first. But I think part of that uh, feeling of, like, isolation and loneliness, and just, I felt like, you know, I didn't have any family close to me, so I just kind of felt uh like i said lonely but part of that drove me a little bit more because my thought process was like well i'm up here in iowa i might as well just do everything that i can to be good so i'm up there in iowa and you know i'm working out and doing doing what i need to do um and the velo rises a little bit i, I finally get up to like you know 86 88 eight touching 89 uh and i remember our scout day towards the end of the fall um was the first time i had ever hit 90. like i was like 87 to 90 and it was the greatest feeling in the world for me because and this is uh, after coming off 82 84 yeah so this is like this is like two or three months after being 82 84 so my first outing at nyack um i was i was like 83 85 touch 86 and then my last outing that fall i was like 87 90 and so i get a call from uh from two schools, one Division Two, and then one to Division One, Houston Baptist University. And for me, it was like this is the first time any any school has ever recruited me, much less a Division One. Right. Uh, and it's in my home state. You know, they're offering to pay for my school. This is a great scenario. So I end up committing to Houston Baptist University my first year up there at NIAC. And I go into the spring, and I just have a terrible spring. Like it's just my first start was awful. My second start was awful. I get moved to the bullpen. I can't throw strikes. Everything about my season was terrible. And so about halfway through that season, Houston Baptist called me. And they're like, hey, man, we think another year at JUCO would be best for you. And for me, I was kind of under that assumption as well. I was like, I don't want to go into a Division One, you know, not having confidence in myself. So we both agreed to, to go back to NIAC. So I finished that year out. And the velo rose a little bit more. I think I got up to 92 that spring. So I'd seen a little bit more gains. And then that season ended, 
and a guy on my team by the name of Tyler Lean, who you're probably familiar with. Um, Tyler Lean told me about about this place in St. Louis called P3. It was just a training facility, and uh, you know that's where we obviously met. But he said, you know, you can live out here and train train here at P3. And so I was like, okay, well that sounds good. So get a place in P3 or in St. Louis and start training at P3. Um, and then that's kind of where the velo rose a little bit more. I think I got up to 95.8 out there. No, I got, I know I got a couple of videos on my phone of you. You're going through your high octane Thursday here. The yeah, week before you top at 93 and then next week it's Thursday again. You got Harrison on the mound, got everybody hyping him up. You got people slapping him, giving yeah. all those velo slaps. And all of a sudden you get 94.8 and we're like, this dude was just barely touching 93.1 last week. Yeah, and he's getting out there. What is it going on? Yeah, man, that was fun. That was really fun. Apologies to Miney. Uh, apologies <laughs> to Austin Miney. Showing the glove. Yeah, for the gloves. So, for the listeners, so one of the big things for me at P3, I think one of the most beneficial things uh, was they just told me to get on a mound and throw the baseball as hard as I can. Like <laughs> yes, they said, get on a get on a mound and don't think about anything other than throwing this baseball as hard as you possibly can. And so I'd get on the mound, and, and the week before, uh, like Ian said, I'd, I'd hit 93. And so the, the goal for the next mound session was 94. And I'm, I'm sitting like 92.9, 93.7, 93.4. Like I just, I just am so close to 94, but I'm not hitting 94. And I'm like, I'm like 20 pitches into this bullpen. And, I, and really, I think I was only supposed to go 20, but you know how it goes whenever you're chasing a number. and, and you that 94, you're done. Yeah, like you're not, you're not stopping at 20. And uh, I turn around to Miney, and I, I think I said something along the lines of, call me a pussy. <laughs> and uh, I'll send you the video later. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he says, I don't know if I can cuss on this or not, but uh, who cares? Let's go, let's go for it, man. <laughs> he looks at me, and he says, fuck you, bitch. You're a fucking pussy. Yeah. And, I get, and the next pitch I throw is 94.5. And I turn around at Miney and I throw my glove at him. And I mean, I'm in, I'm such in an adrenaline phase, like I'm having an out of body experience because like the adrenaline's pumping, like I don't even know what I'm doing. So I throw my glove at him, and then I yell. I think I yelled "fuck you" at him yep. too. And then I go pick up the balls and I kind of cool off a little bit. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like I I did not mean anything by that. Like that's my bad. And obviously he's you know he's like, dude, it's fine. I don't care. Like I get it. I'm just happy that you hit 94. But, uh, but yeah, so continuing on the story, uh, so I hit 94 and then I hit 95. And so finally I come to the realization that I'm actually somewhat of a prospect now, or at least, at least I have, um, you know, the velo to turn some heads. So I go into the fall and for all the Juco listeners out there, the fall is where you make your money in terms of offers. Um, you play showcases. Uh, across the country you get to show you know division ones what you're made of and all that stuff so I'm pitching in the fall and uh, I'm pitching at Iowa Western and I'm pretty sure I had pretty sure I had a a good outing uh, two innings you know a couple strikeouts here and there whatever I had no clue who was in the stands honestly I just pitched I think I was like 90 94 maybe touched 95 but I get back to my hotel room and I'm just I'm just laying in my bed after the game and I get a text I look at my phone and it says Hey, Harrison, Zach Etheridge from TCU. Uh, you have a minute to talk tonight. And when I saw that text, I just put my phone down and stared off into the distance. Like, 
and, and I literally had nothing going through my head. Like I saw that text, I put my phone down, face down, looked off into the distance, and my 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 brain was just blank. It was just a blank screen. I had no clue what to think. I was like, is this actually happening right now? Because I mean, I'm from Fort Worth. Like I grew yeah, up. I guess that's the dream, dream right there. That's the dream. Like that's literally the goal. I grew up watching Matt Perk. I grew up watching this team go to four straight World Series. Like uh, this is this is where I want to be. And and they're they're recruiting me right now. Like I just couldn't believe it. And so I you know I call Zach afterwards that night, and we have a good conversation. And I end up going out on a visit um, to to TCU. And I mean it was a no brainer. You know it it, it really wasn't. Um, there wasn't any other school that com- could compare to compare to that. Not only from the emotional side for me, from being from TC or from being from Fort Worth, um, but also just the coaching staff. I mean, Coach Sloss, Coach Sarlis, Coach Dakin, uh, and then Coach Mo, who's the hitting coach, who I don't really work with that much, but he's still an, an awesome dude. Just everything about the program, I was like, yeah, like this is it. And couple that with the fact that I'm from Fort Worth, I grew up watching this team, idolizing this team, dreaming of putting on purple and white and pitching on a Friday night, like, mm-hmm. you know, it was a no brainer. So ended up committing there. And I mean, it, I mean, that was, that was one of the best moments of my life. Whenever I, whenever I called Schloss and told him I'm in. Um, and I know that's kind of a long, long answer to your question, but I kind of wanted to, you know, give the listeners a background on my story a little bit. For sure. And it's, it's crazy to think about like from your, from your journey, starting at Ranger, you're a guy that's, like you said, mid to upper 70s, touching low 80s, and into that transition. And, like, kind of go into, like, what you said earlier, how uh, St. Cameron left kind of, like, saved your career. Yeah, so I think with – when I think about Cameron, like, I mean, he's just – an uh, first of all, he's an unbelievable friend, unbelievable guy, like, just one of my best friends. Um and he loves baseball. Like, he, he is a baseball guy through and through. He will die for this sport. Um, and, and honestly, I think you need to have him on because his story is amazing as well, um, where he's bounced around from. But I've always admired him because he's just he's been a guy who, who's just, like, kind of does things differently. Uh, he's a forward thinker, you know. And so what I mean by he saved my career is he introduced me to weighted balls. He got me to come to Oregon with him and play summer baseball, and he introduced me to Coach Herger. He got me talking about Nyack and thinking about Nyack. And if it weren't for that guy, you know, I don't know if I'd be playing baseball right now. And I know damn well that I wouldn't be playing baseball at TCU, and I know for a fact I wouldn't have seen my name uh, in the 2019 draft. You know, that's for sure. Yes, for our listeners that don't know, Harrison was drafted in the 39th round by the Milwaukee Brewers in 2019. Yeah. But yeah, man. I mean, that's just that's kind of where Cam comes in, and I still talk to him a lot. He's uh he's at UIS right now, mm-hmm. University of Illinois Springfield. He's doing his thing. Um, I love that guy to death, but I mean, he's a psycho on the mound. So a lot oh, of yeah. times at night, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the first time, first time we played Cam uh, it was 2018, Nyack versus Kirkwood, and we're kind of the big dogs in that conference, the one and two, and he comes out, and I had like. No offense to Cam, but like early in his career at Ranger and even a little bit in the summer uh, out in Oregon, I mean, he was a mid-80s arm, pretty like flat fastball for the most part, like average off speed. Like he, he was just an average pitcher. And so we go into this game uh, in Iowa, Kirkwood versus Nyack, 
And I'm telling my guys, I'm like, okay, like he's he's a competitor, he's psycho, but like he's not gonna blow you away with stuff. And he comes out and he's like he's like 90, 93. Like they're coming back to the dugout thinking like, dude, his sinker, like what? I thought you said it was flat. Like that's he's throwing that one table. Yeah, he's throwing that one seam, twenty inches of horizontal movement, and he's got that change up too. And he shut yeah. us out, man, through like six innings. And you know he's talking his shit. He's he's pounding his chest after every out. He's screaming. And so my teammates, they were like, yeah, I hate this kid. And I'm like, trust me, you just got to meet him. That's how he is on the mound. But when he's not on the mound pitching against you, he's a fantastic dude. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> yeah. He did he the same out. thing in the regional, too. I love how you go. He's, he's like, he's got flat stuff. He's not going to blow you away. Comes out. He's throwing that one seam sinker at 92 miles an hour. They're just yeah. like, are you okay? Like, can you I see? Was like, I was like, what happened to this guy? So, kind of talk about, so, when you're first starting to throw these weighted balls and these plyos, so, how, going from there, where did you progress with that? Um, so, when I first got introduced to the to the weighted balls, I really wasn't bought in, and also, I didn't understand what the function of them was. I thought that, I thought that you just threw these things, and because they weighed more than a regular baseball, you'd gain arm strength. Right. Um, and as the years or as the year went on, I kind of started to understand that the reason you throw these weighted balls is because they help you with efficient movement. Yeah. They don't they don't make you throw harder because you gain arm strength. They make you more efficient with your arm path and with your movement patterns. So I think once I finally understood the function of these plyo balls and these weighted balls is really once my progression started to take off and the velo started to really rise because I understood what I was trying to accomplish rather than just going out and just throwing the hell out of them. Right. So that, that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, once I got to NIAC, everybody knows that, you know, NIAC's a weighted ball university. Like they pioneered this stuff in Juco baseball. They were doing it years before everybody else was. And just learning from coach, coach Herg, learning from, uh, from Brett DeGagne and just, you know, learning about, movement patterns, you know, mechanical efficiency, um, you know, just everything. I think I just became a more introspective person in life, really, but in baseball as well, my, my thought process just completely did a 180. Um, and I kind of started to treat it similar to like a science experiment in the way where it's, it's trial and error, you know, it's doing things, finding out what works for you, finding out what doesn't work for you, reading blogs, watching videos, just really immersing yourself in this culture. And there's so much free content on the internet. I mean, you go on treadathletics.com. Oh, you yeah. go Ben's on a great dude. Um, ben Brewster. I mean, those guys, it's so much free content. And if you, really, if you really buy into it and you really sell out for that kind of stuff, like, you're going to see gains. And so that's what I did is, is I said, you know, I don't really care about making friends. I don't really care about having a girlfriend. I don't care about going out. I don't care about, you know, hanging out with my family. The only thing I care about is getting better at this sport. How can I get better at this sport? How can I throw harder? How can I be a better pitcher? How can I improve my overall game? And once I bought into that where I was just, I was in that tunnel vision mode where I, nothing else mattered to me other than baseball. Like that's when I started seeing the biggest gains. So what would you say for 
uh, a pitcher or just any position player in general, just kind of on the on the cuff about, do I want to go this way with the plyo care balls and the weighted balls, or do, do I want to take that uh, that top velocity type of <laughs> effect going into it? And, I mean, speaking from speaking from personal experience, like if you're a, okay, like if you're a guy like me who's, you know, when I first started out, I was I was 82, 84, 85, whatever whatever the case may be. I was a mid 80s arm. Like as a right-handed pitcher with negative command and a not good off-speed pitch, like no college is going to recruit me. Like th- there's just no way that I'm going to go out and be mid 80s. And you know, I, I mean, really, I could go out and be mid 80s. And I could throw a perfect game, and I guarantee you I wouldn't get one Power 5 offer, even if every Power 5 school was in the stands. Mm-hmm. So for me, being a right-handed pitcher is, is definitely a lot different than being a lefty, but being a right-handed pitcher, I think you have to sharpen your tools first. I mean, you hear that phrase a lot. Um, and I use the analogy, if you're a plumber and you you know everything that you need, you know everything about plumbing, you know everything that needs to happen, and you get into a house and, and you have a job to do, you literally know everything you need to do from top to bottom. If you get in that job and you don't have the right tools to do that job, you're not going to be able to do that job. And for me, how that relates to pitching is if I'm going to go out and I'm going to be mid-80s, it doesn't matter what I do. It really doesn't. I'm not going to be able to get drafted. I'm not going to be able to sign to a Division One Power 5 school. I'm not going to be able to reach my goals. So for me, it was like, okay, I need to make this undeniable where if I go out and I'm 92, 94 – I might spray it a little bit. I might walk a couple guys, but at least I'm out, at least I'm out there and I'm I'm throwing hard and I'm showing that I have the ability, um, you know, to 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 sharpen my sharpen my tools and pitch at the next level. And at least I have the tools to do that. So I guess for a listener, if you're out there and you're kind of stuck in your training environment, the number one thing for me was just getting stronger and bigger. If you're if you're not a physical person, that's the biggest thing is just put on weight, get stronger, and then, you know, think about throwing weighted balls, but make sure you do it in the right capacity. Make sure you're safe with it and make sure that you know why you're doing it. Don't just go out there and throw them because that's how you get injured, and that's probably the worst thing you could do. So for some of our – so talk about this for some of our listeners that kind of – that may not understand like what we do at P3. Kind of talk about your in-season and then your off-season training. Now, even it may be different now that you're at TCU, but kind of dive into that. Yeah. So for so two different things. So my my in-season program, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do whatever I can to make my body feel ready to pitch on a Friday night. That's the only thing that matters to me. I'm not concerned with putting on strength, even though I think it is important and I think that you are able to put on strength in the season. Um, and I try to do that, and I think I do a good job of doing that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what can I do to make myself ready to pitch so I can feel 100% to pitch on a Friday night. Um, and it doesn't matter what your teammates say. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You have to do what, what you need to do to get your body ready to pitch. You have to take command of your career and say, I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do what I need to do. To, to be ready to pitch on Friday night. Um, and that's that's for the in-season. For the off-season, it's a little different for me. I think I'm at a point in my career where the strength side is, is still extremely important, but I'm not, I'm not at a point where I need to 
to put on a whole lot of strength. I'm, you know, I'm a physical guy. I'm a bigger guy now. Um, so I'm kind of gearing my training towards movement patterns, being more mobile, being a better overall athlete, applying my strength in meaningful ways, um, meaning getting strong in the right areas and, and also, you know, remaining powerful, remaining strong, but finding out how to use my strength to my advantage and how to better, uh, my mechanical efficiency on a slope, because at the end of the day, all it comes down to is, is, uh, what you do on a mountain. You know, you can be the strongest guy in the world. You can have the best movement pattern in the world, but if you can't do it on a mountain, if you can't do it in a game, it doesn't matter. For sure. And kind of going off with that, what's, what have you seen the biggest difference between you being at TCU now compared to you being in JUCO? Well, I think as far as the lifestyle goes, the biggest difference is just the time crunch. Um, I mean, at, at TCU, it is, it is all day, every day, um, you know, seven days a week. You, you are grinding, you are doing, you know, school, tutoring, baseball, weightlifting. I mean, my, my Wednesday, I'll just walk you through my Wednesday in this fall. Um, you know, we have, we have weights at 6.45 in the morning, so I'm up at 5.30, uh, drinking a little breakfast, drinking some water. Get to, the, get to the field around 6.05, uh, take a shower, put my clothes on, get to the weight room at 6.45, uh, lift until 8, and then 8 o'clock, go back to the locker room, change, shower, uh, get a smoothie, and then I'm off to class at 9, and I got class from 9 to 12.20 every Wednesday. Then I go find some lunch, get something to eat, and I got practice at 2.30, and from 2.30 to about 5.30, you know, 6 o'clock, I have practice. After practice, I'm going and I'm eating dinner at training tables, getting something, you know, to refuel, some protein, all that kind of stuff. After that, I got a night class from 6.30 to 9.10 at night. So literally from 5.30 in the morning until 9.10 at night, I'm on the go. Like, I'm moving. I'm doing something. At JUCO... My Wednesday was like wake up at like ten thirty, like like make some eggs in my room, get some breakfast, maybe go to class at like if I have class that day, um, you know go to practice at two, finish practice at you know four thirty or so, and then I got the rest of the night to do what I want. So it was really relaxed, and uh, you know Division One TCU, it's it's a lot faster pace. It's it's just a lot more to take in. And I think you take a little bit, takes a little bit of time to get acclimated to that. Um, I know when I first got to TCU, it was, it was hard for me to adjust to that because I was so accustomed to that, that JUCO. And not that, obviously not that JUCOs, you know, don't work hard or, or don't do any of that, but it's just a different, you're just not as crunched for time. You just don't have as many obligations. So once I got to TCU, it was, it was tough to acclimate myself to, uh, you know, all the time obligations and all the, all the responsibilities that I had. Um, but you know, once you get, once you get accustomed to it, you almost like it more because you're just, you have something to do all day. And, and for me personally, you know, I prefer, I prefer to be moving all day. I, I hate the days where I'm up, you know, at 10 and I'm moseying around and, and I'm not doing anything and I have no time obligations. I prefer to be moving and, and to have something to do all day. So, you know, I like the, I like the TCU and the division one lifestyle in general. So what's it like? I know a lot of guys are curious about this question. What's it like being at TCU and working with uh, Coach Deshant? 
Yeah, Kurt's Dakin. Dakin, my yeah. bad. No, dude, it's funny. Uh, I mean, the literally, age, the age everybody gets me. makes that mistake, dude. When I got there, I thought it was, I thought it was Deshant at first, and then a couple of guys were calling him Deacon, and so I thought it was Deacon <laughs> for a while, and then I made the mistake of calling him Deacon to his face, and um, he was like, "My name's Coach Deacon. Like, don't get it wrong." I'm like, "Okay, so Coach Deacon." Yeah, it's Deacon, but we well, call him we call him Deshant from time to time just to mess with him. But no, I mean, I mean, Coach Dakin is just a world class trainer. Like, legitimately throwing throwing all of the strength things out out the window. Like that man just cares for his players, and I think that's, I mean, he's amazingly talented and he's so smart and he knows exactly what he's doing. But the thing that makes him who he is is he cares for his players so much, and you can feel that too. It's not it's not something where he just tells you that he cares for you or whatever. Like you can legitimately feel the love coming from him and you can feel that he's really invested in every single player's career. And I think that that's how you become a good coach is you, you, you are invested in your player's career and you do care to a really great extent about your players and their development. Um, but I mean, working with him, you know, when I got there in the summer, um, dude, that was one of the, one of the hardest months of my life because I was like, New to TCU, you know, I didn't know anybody, like, new environment, Division One, And I go in, and, and we have these, um, for the new players, they come in the summer. So we have a month in the summer where we're working out with Coach Dakin every day. And he is just putting us through the ringer, man. Like, these are some of the hardest workouts I've ever done. He's yelling at us. You know, he is, he's stern. You know, he's not, not the nicest guy in the world when you first meet him. And, you know, so at first I was like, man, this guy's kind of an asshole. Like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> like this guy. Like, I get it. He's a strength trainer and he's got to be like that. But, like, I don't even like him that much. And once the season rolled around, I realized why he did that is because he needed respect. Like, that, like that's how he gained respect from his players. And it's kind of a tough love thing where he's really hard on you at first and once, once you start working with them and once you show him who you are and how much you care and you show him your character, I mean, he is just one of the most amazing, uh, you know, people, but one of the most amazing coaches that I've ever had the pleasure of, of playing for. And I call him a coach um, because he really is. I mean, he is with us. He's with us at practice. He goes to every single game. Like, he flies with us on the road. Like, he is true and true a coach. And the only program that he does, the only uh, – athletics program that he does at TCU is baseball so he is a, a full baseball guy um, and you know he is he's helped me so much in my career in the little time that I've been there and it's evidenced by the fact that you walk in that gym in the fall in the the offseason for the big leagues and you know you might walk by Jake Arrieta or you might see Noah Syndergaard walking around you know you'll see Brandon Finnegan you'll see uh, you know Luke and Baker Evan Skaug like all of those guys come back to train with him and that just shows you how special of a guy he is, and it shows you how good of a trainer he is. Right. Those guys definitely have the same respect that you're showing to him right now. Exactly. So does he, as far as you guys at TCU, does he have you guys like on a, a certain meal plan that you guys are going through? He doesn't personally, but we do have a nutritionist. Uh, her okay. name is Brooke. And so what she does is she... I mean, she just, she tells you exactly what to eat. Like she literally just gives you a program and like it has your macros, your calories. If you need to gain weight, 
you know, you're a weight gain guy, if you need to lose weight, you know, body composition guy. Um, so, you know, she handles all the nutrition stuff and, and TCU does a phenomenal job of providing us with all of this, you know, free food, like literally our dinners, like I'll walk into the, to the, uh, the dinner for the athletes and you got like salmon, rice, like steak, chicken, like everything you need is there. And it's just amazing to have that. And it's just awesome to, to be able to have that, um, you know, at our disposal. Right. So kind of, kind of moving on from that side of stuff, what, what, what's a few things that you think in your mind kind of separates from you from other pitchers? I think the biggest thing that separates me from other pitchers is just my competitive edge and my will to win. And I think that's something that every pitcher can have. You don't have to be anything special to, to have that fire. Um, for me, man, like just going out there, it's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to beat you. Like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what round you got drafted out of high school. Like, I don't care about anything. I'm going to go out there. And I'm going to beat you because I'm better than you. And whether you fully like believe that or not really doesn't matter. As long as you go out there with that mindset and as long as you believe it for the time that you're out there on the mound, like you're going to be successful. Um, and then just another thing that, that TCU has helped me a lot with, um, they're super big on the mental side, uh, on the mental side of the game, like just as big as they are on the physical side. Like they, you know, they buy into the mental side of the game and it's a reason why they've been so successful. And it's a reason why you never see our players get rattled. You never see a guy on the mound, you know, lose his cool or whatever the case may be. Um, we, we have meetings with Brian Kane. I'm sure you, sure you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Um, for the listeners, if you're not familiar with Brian Kane, you need to be familiar with Brian Kane because he is an absolute wizard. He's probably the best. Actually, he's not even probably. He is the best mental game baseball coordinator in the country, bar none. Like, he is... He's amazing. So he comes in, uh, he comes in in person probably once, you know, once a month, maybe once every two months. But we have, uh, in the fall at least, we had these Zoom calls with him once a week. And the biggest thing that I took away as far as on-field performance is when you're out there and you're a pitcher or, or if you're a position player, the only thing that you should be focused on is, is one pitch. Mm-hmm. It's just one pitch at a time. You're not thinking about the crowd. You're not thinking about the implications that the game has on it. You're not thinking about your draft stock. You're not thinking about who you're playing. You're not thinking about your mechanics. You're not thinking about your girlfriend. The only thing that you should be thinking about when you're out there on the mound or at the plate or in the field is what can I do to focus on this singular pitch? You're not thinking about the, a bad call that the umpire made two pitches ago. You're not thinking about anything other than what can I do to execute a pitch. And I think how that relates to pitchers in general, or pitchers specifically, is I'm just trying to execute a pitch. That's the only thing I'm trying to do. So if I get a fastball in the outside corner, my 100% focus goes into executing that fastball in the outside corner. And for me, when I got there at TCU, like that wasn't my mindset whatsoever. And part of that was because I had never been taught that. But also part of that was, you know, myself just getting wrapped up in the, you know, the bright lights of being at TCU and being a Division One player. But it has helped me tremendously on the mound because I used to be a guy who would get nervous and I used to be a guy who would not be mentally focused. Even when I was pitching, I would focus on a bad call the umpire made. I would focus on an error or maybe... You know, maybe I maybe I didn't execute a pitch how I wanted to. I would let that bleed out into the next couple of pitches, 
and it just it just wasn't good for me as a pitcher. Once I got to TCU, once I heard about a pitch by pitch basis executing a singular pitch at a time, it was a game changer. I mean, literally, it changed my whole outlook, and it just made me such a better pitcher. And honestly, it took the nerves out of things. Like it's kind of weird. Growing up, like every time I would pitch, high school, middle school, like junior college, like I would get pretty nervous before. And everyone has nerves, obviously, but I think that I was a little bit more mental. Like I would I would have negative self talk. Like I would I would kind of talk myself into bad scenarios and what could happen on the mound and what happens if I don't do this. And so every time I got out on the mound in junior college and high school, like I was pretty nervous. And then I get to the biggest stage of my career thus far. Like, I'm pitching at TCU in front of 4,000 people on a Friday night uh, in the ninth inning of a one-run game. And I'm out there, and I'm not even nervous. Like, and honestly, truly, I'm not even nervous because it goes back to focusing on executing one pitch at a time. And kind of going back on that, so I know, like, with our Juco, we got a little toned-down version, but I know TCU and all these – other big schools are really big on it. How does your Omaha challenge help you mentally to get ready for that for in-season play? Yeah, I think I think that that um, is big. Actually, I didn't participate in the Omaha challenge this year. Um, I sustained a low back injury about midway through the fall that kept me out about two weeks. And uh, Coach Jacob being the just amazing thoughtful trainer that he was <laughs> he was like yeah you probably shouldn't do this because you know it's pretty hard uh and you know there's a chance you could hurt your back so i actually didn't have the luxury of enduring that but i'll tell you what <laughs> i was the there <laughs> i was there every single day watching these guys on my team go through these various challenges and i mean it literally made me want to throw up just watching it i mean you see these guys finish these challenges and they can't, like, literally, they can't even think straight. Like, they can barely walk, and they have that look in their eye like, uh, I have no clue what's going on. And, I mean, I one of the hardest ones is the Widowmaker. And uh, it's like, you you run, like, it, they, they have the football field, and so you're actually going sideline to sideline. So it's like 50 yards across the football field. And so for the first 50 yards... And I, I don't have this exactly correctly, but you're pulling a chain, like a 150-pound chain. So you're pulling that 50 yards. And then on the way back, you sprint. And then you pick up, like, a 80-pound, like, med ball, this huge med ball that's, like, really hard to carry. And you run that 50 yards. And then you run back. And then you push a sled 50 yards across. And then to finish it, you just you sprint back. And I've legitimately watched guys on that last leg like fall down because their legs just stop working like they're trying to sprint back from that that last 50 yards and their legs just give out and they just literally face plant on the ground i'm sure um, you got some i'm sure you got some guys just sitting there contemplating ever committing to tcu yeah that honestly, week. honestly i know uh one of my one of my good friends on the team was like dude because he had he had to do it uh he was like dude when you wake up every morning for that omaha challenge you legitimately hate life. Like, it's the last thing that you would ever... Like, you would pay a million dollars not to do it. Um, but, I mean, I think that that really transitions into the mental game because it teaches you that whenever things get hard, like, when you're midway through one of those challenges, 
your body always has way more than you think. 100%. And it's really just a it's really just a mind over matter thing. And it, it shows you it gives you physical evidence that your mind is way more powerful and your body can endure way harder of things than you think. So it almost makes going out and pitching in front of fifteen thousand people easy. So would you say like going through all that mental training, you're going in ninth inning, game seven, your World College World Series, you're in Omaha, you're ready to go. You no nerves there? No, I definitely would have nerves. One hundred percent. I I definitely would have nerves. But I'll tell you what, a year and a half, if you asked me that question, I probably wouldn't even be able to go out of the gate. <laughs> So now at least I'll be able to go out there and, and mentally and endure it and get through it. So from a back like on a pitching side, you're on the bump, kind of. I know you're going to go kind of based off this pitch by pitch. But what's what's more or less your philosophy when you're on the mound? Yeah. So again, for me, speaking from my own personal experience, it's going to vary between guys. Um, like me and you are going to attack hitters differently, right? Like you're a left-handed pitcher, like I'm a right-handed, like just so much different. But for me, and I think this, I think this actually can apply to to every pitcher out there. Is like I'm trying to be aggressive in the zone. Like it doesn't matter. Like I'm not trying to to be really fine. I'm not trying to be timid. I'm trying to be as aggressive as I can in the strike zone. I'm trying to suffocate the strike zone with fastballs, with sliders, with changeup, whatever the case may be. You always want to be on the offensive position. Because the minute you start being timid, the minute that that dugout senses a little bit of fear from you or a little bit of timidness or a little bit of, uh, you know, just kind of trying to pick edges or be too fine, like, that's really the the moment that you, that you lose. So for me, I'm out there. I'm trying to just, first of all, I'm trying to get to strike one. Right. Um, that's the most important thing. And, and I really didn't buy into that until I got to TCU, and I really didn't see the importance of that until I got to TCU, but that is bar none the most important thing is getting to strike one. It just opens up so much more for you. I mean, think about this. You get to you get to 1-0, you throw a ball on the pitch, 90% of the time, you're, you gotta come back with a fastball, you know, because if you, if you didn't get a strike one, what are you gonna do? You're gonna throw a curveball for a strike? Like, the hitter knows you're probably gonna throw a fastball, but you get to 0-1, you could go change up, you could go slider, you could go heater in, you could go heater away, yeah. you could even go heater up. Like it's just it just gives you so many more options. So my biggest thing is I'm trying to get to strike one. And once I get to strike one, I'm trying to I'm just trying to be aggressive. Um, and then, you know, if I get to two strikes, I'm trying to put a hitter away that pitch. You hear it all the time uh, with big leaguers. I'm not trying to mess around with, with a two strike pitch. Now, I'm not trying to just leave it down the middle, but I'm also not trying to yank it and get it way out of the zone that's not even competitive. Right. And I think that, that I think that's a big thing for me as well because I used to I used to be the guy that was like, okay, once I get to two strikes, I gotta make this pitch as nasty as I can and like make sure I strike this guy out. And that I actually showed in my first outing against Kentucky, I had two hitters uh, and one two counts. The first hitter, I just got him to swing through two sliders, not even close. And so we go one-two slider, and I'm thinking, before I throw it, I'm thinking, I got to make this perfect, you know. For whatever reason, that was going through my head. I got to make this pitch perfect. And so 
I try to spin it way too much, end up uh, slipping out a little bit, and I hit him. And then the other batter, he was a lefty, I got him to 1-2, and we go heater, uh, heater, probably up, heater up. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to hit 100 here or whatever. Like, I just got to rear back and just blow this thing absolutely by him. So I try to do that, and I hit him. And the lesson that I learned, and Coach Sloss actually came up to me the next day, and he goes, so when you get to a hitter to 0-2, you got to make the perfect pitch, right? And, like, I answered yes. I was like, yeah. And he goes, no, you don't. You just need to make a good pitch. And it doesn't matter if you strike him out. It doesn't matter what happens. As long as he gets out, you just got to make a good pitch. And from that moment, every time I got to two strikes, it was like almost like let's ease off a little bit. Like let's not try to make this pitch better. Let's just try to make it good enough to where I get this guy out. I don't care if it's a strikeout. I just want to get this guy out. So overall, I mean, overall mentality, first and foremost, pitch-by-pitch basis. That's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you can write that on a poster and put it in our dugout. Like, that is exactly our philosophy. Every single game, inner squad practice, game, World Series, it doesn't matter, pitch-by-pitch basis. If you can get that down, if you can really internalize that and acknowledge that that's what's going to get you to the next level and that's what's going to help you be successful, you're going to be a really good pitcher. So pitch-by-pitch basis is the, very, the, the overview of the very first thing. Second thing is a pitcher, get to strike one. Get to strike one, and once you get to strike one, your chances, and you can go back and look at the numbers in the in the bigs this year, counts that went to 0-1 versus counts that went to 1-0 batting average against. I mean, I don't know them, but like I will be willing to bet my entire life savings that counts in 0-1 have a lower batting average than 1-0 counts. I mean, it's just... 100%. And you can even see that looking into synergy with college baseball right now. Right. You just pull that up there, and it's, bam, and it's pretty blatant. Yeah, that's a great tool. I, I love looking at uh, Synergy, and then Bats is another one we use. What is it called? Bats. Bats? Yeah, yeah we're, we're pretty blessed here at John A to be able to have Synergy for this, this year, the first year we've had it. Yeah. And, and just being able to look at all those numbers, like, going through everything, especially from a pitching side. And, like, like you said earlier, like, me, like between me and you, we're going we're gonna to attack guys differently. Like, I threw 78% sliders this year. That's, that, that's my best pitch. So that's what, I'm, that's what I'm attacking guys with. Right. So, How do you use Synergy? Like, do you use it where if you're gonna if you're playing Wabash Valley this weekend, are yeah. you are you using Synergy to look at tendencies from their hitters and are you like reviewing numbers before you guys go out there? Yeah. So unfortunately, we didn't get to get into our conference play because there are a few teams right. in our conference that do use Synergy. So and for for me personally, being like a bullpen closer guy, that's something I'd, I definitely would have done and gone through and kind of looked through their lineup and like seeing what they're struggling with. Because like for the, our listeners that know what synergy or familiar with synergy, like you can go in there and you can type what pitch, you can go pitch by pitch, the result, the count, like you can, you can see it all. And then if I can just like go in there and make some notes of what these guys are struggling on, I'm going to attack them with it. Like if right. I know that said that if I know they're a four hitter, can't hit change ups away from from a lefty, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pound in change ups or Yeah. For me, like my in my my head, like if I'm facing a lefty, like it's just mentally I, if I say if I'm facing a lefty, I'm gonna throw a slider and they're not gonna hit it. This yeah. is like that's my mental thing there. Yeah. I mean that's pretty unique that you guys are at a junior college and you get the luxury of having that. There's actually, it kind of surprised me because once we were looking at there's quite a few schools 
that are like yeah. JUCOs that have it, which it shocked me. So does that have the TrackMan info as well? Uh, we can implement it, yeah, because we have a TrackMan at our school. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that I mean that's another thing. Like the way that data has transformed this game, even through the last like two years, like so recently. I mean, it's just insane how much data has has helped. I mean, for me, like I know that that I've used Rapsodos, Trackmans, and I you probably have as well too. Edgetronic yeah. cameras, like I mean, that stuff. That's a crazy, crazy tool. And people that neglect that stuff are crazy. Like it's it's legitimately data and numbers. It's not it's not objective or anything like that. It's it's just literally facts. I feel like there's more people now like that are finally coming like kind of like getting on the wave of analytics and numbers that are actually starting to buy into it. But there's still so many people that are in that old school. I'm putting those in quotes for you guys yeah. that are just totally against all this new technology and on the hitting side, they're people not buying into the in quotes again launch angle swing or anything like that <laughs> every 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 ball in play even foul balls have launch angles yeah and i feel like guys if, think that if you don't have a like, launch angle the ball's in the catcher's mitt <laughs> yeah exactly and i mean here's the thing man like i'm not i'm not like one million percent analytics right um and and i don't think anybody that's successful with it is I think it's an amazing tool, and if you learn how to use it correctly, and if you learn how to use it to your advantage, I mean, it can it can certainly certainly help you. But I do think that there's a little bit of danger in the fact that a lot of guys like that's their end all be all. It's like it's data, 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 and I think there has to be a marriage of. Uh, I know Colin Cowherd calls it manalytics, where it's like <laughs> it's like a mixture between analytics and like man, I guess. But I know at TCU we do a really, really good job of of being literally like we're fifty fifty on it. Like we have Repsoda, we have Trackman, we have Edgetronic cameras, we have a uh, uh, hit tracks, I think is what it's called for the hitters. Mm. But at the same time, it's still baseball. And and the same thing that worked in the eighties as far as overall view of the game is is probably still gonna work today because it's it's not like the game has changed. It has in the sense where you know, home runs, strikeouts, all that is becoming more prevalent. But at the same time, it's the same exact game. And I think if you can find a happy medium between analytics and uh, and just overall, you know, knowledge of the game, I think that's where you can really be successful. And it's like, like you touched on one earlier, like we've both been around Rapsodo and Trackman for so long. And I'm not meaning to speak for you, but like, I feel like for guys like us that have been through places like Driveline or P3 or PRP in Indiana, like guys like us are using those numbers to more or less just develop our pitches and make them better, and that's where the pitch design comes in. Yeah. Like we're going in like you can go pitch by pitch like in a rap soto bullpen. You're like, oh, what did that feel like? You like check your numbers, say on the slider, you're like, okay, that's this that's this fit efficiency I want. I'm gonna feel that again. Boom, throw it again. Was, right. Did I feel that same thing? Yes or no? And then you go on from there. Exactly, man. I mean, I think, I think definitely. Uh, as far as Rapsodo goes, like, that's helped me a lot with my slider as well because it just gives you good feedback. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that TrackMan has done for me is, like, my release height on my slider and my yep. fastball were different. And You, you literally about, get those graphs right there where it's showing yeah, you the, the difference. Exactly yeah. the same thing. And you talk about, um, I mean, dude, even in, even in the 80s, 90s, like, early thousands, like, they were talking about you want everything to come out of the same slot. And it's the exact same idea with TrackMan. You just want it to come out of the same slot, but now we just have a have a tool that can show us visually, 
using data, using analytics that, hey, my fastball is coming out at a height of six foot one, my slider is at five eight. What can I do to find either a happy medium or to get my fastball in the same slot as my slider or my slider in the same slot as my fastball? And I think that really helped me uh, early on. My slider was getting hit around a little bit. And it's not because it was a bad pitch, but I think mainly it was because it was coming out of such a lower slot than mm-hmm. my fastball. A little bit and, easier to see. Yeah, a little bit easier to recognize, a little bit easier to pick up. And I think once we kind of, um, I mean, we didn't get it perfect, and it's still, I still have a lot of work to do in, in terms of that, but we kind of got it a little bit closer. And I think I started, uh, you know, just getting a little bit more swing and misses on the slider. So going on from there, like with, like you're talking about with your pitch design, what's what's the biggest thing, like, there? What kind of drill? Like, say you're going, you're trying to figure out that release height. What are some things you guys are doing to try to be able to fix that with it between your fastball slider? Uh, for us, it's just trial and error, really. Yep. It's. I mean, you uh, you know, you go back and you watch Trevor Bauer. I watch a lot of Trevor Bauer because I think that I really like the way that he goes about his process. And he goes about it the same way that an engineer would go about their process, where it's like, there's three questions. What do I need to improve on? Well, really, there's two questions in one statement. What do I need to improve on? How am I going to do it? And then let's do it. Let's build a plan. So what he does, and I mean, he's documented this really well on YouTube, on Twitter. He just goes in there and he'll throw, he'll throw a fastball. And we'll stop and we'll look at the data and we'll say, okay, that was a release had a six foot one. And then he'll throw a slider just like he normally would, not try to change anything, and go back and say, okay, that release height was 5'7". Well, what, is, what does the spin rate look like? What does the spin efficiency look like? Does it have the characteristics of the slider that we're trying to get to? And if the answer is yes, then okay, let's try to manipulate that ball a little bit more. Let's throw this next slider. Try to stay on top of it a little bit more. So you throw the next slider. Maybe the release, maybe the release height's like 5'8 on the next one. Maybe it goes up an inch. Maybe it's 5'9. You made a little bit of progress. Okay, now let's throw a fastball. And let's try to do exactly what we do, but let's just try. I mean, all you need is an inch, really. Like, let's just try to get that, get that hand, you know, tilted a little bit, so we can, you know, lower that that release height and try to just have them same the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just comes down to trial and error, just doing things, looking back on it, saying, okay, what did that pitch do? What are we trying to do? Now let's go and try to do it, and then it's just repeating that process over and over again. And for pitch design, that works. And also, from my experience, like, whenever I was working on my lower half at P3, like, like that was the biggest thing. It was like, okay, let's let's do this. Let's do this drill, this lower half drill, ten times. Let's see how you feel. Let's video it. Let's look at it. Let's analyze it. And then let's have a conversation about what needs to change, what you need to do better. And then when you come in tomorrow, try to do that. And then try to get that feeling that you felt that felt really good and just try to try to replicate that. Try to do it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coach Sloss actually has this his his favorite book. It's called The Compound Effect. And I actually read it, but it talks about um, it talks about doing little things every single day and having them compound on top of each other. So like the big question is like, would you rather have three billion dollars today, or would you rather have one penny compounded for the next 31 days, meaning that penny will double every day. So it'll go from one to two, from two to four, from four to eight, from eight cents to 16, and so on. And at first, when you hear that question, you're like, okay, would I, would I rather have a penny compounded today for 31 days, or would I rather have $3 million? You're going to say, like, 
probably rather have $3 million just looking at it. But when you do the math, after 30 days, I think the penny is like, like $5 million. But then after 31, it's $10 million. So like the answer, the correct answer is you'd rather have a penny compounded for 31 days because at the end of those 31 days, you have $10 million. But for the first 29 days, that person who picked the $3 million is laughing at you. They're saying, oh, you have, you only have a million and a half or you only have 800,000 and I have 3 million. Like who made the right decision? And then that one time happens, that one extra day, and then all of a sudden you have $10 million. So it's, it's really just comes down to doing, Brian Kane, doing a little, a lot, not a lot, a little. Just taking everything day by day, doing, doing a little, but also doing enough where you're, you know, where you're getting something done, obviously. But it's not like, okay, today I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a bullpen and I'm gonna long toss and I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do Rapsodo data and then after that I'm gonna get in the weight room I'm gonna crush it and then after that I'm gonna go do more pitching mechanics and then the next three days I'm gonna sit on my ass and not do anything and then I'm gonna the next day I'm gonna do all this stuff. That's not how you do things. That's what you want to do is you want to say okay today I'm gonna throw a bullpen and I'm gonna get a lift in and then tomorrow I'm gonna play tolerance catch and I'm going to get a mobility routine in the next day. I'm going to go long toss and I'm going to get another lift in and it just keeps building and building and building. And what you end up finding, what ends up happening is that after, you know, a period of time, you'll realize the strides that you made are really big because you've done something every single day and you've let it compound. That's it. I really like that. I'm going to have to get that book. It's that's, good. It's good. That whole philosophy. That, I mean, that it makes a lot of sense. And I just wrote down that quote. Hopefully, I wrote it down right. Yeah. Said, do a little, a lot, not a lot. Do a little, a lot, not a lot, a little. Yeah. That, I mean, that really hits. Like that. For, I don't know about you guys listening, but he said that. And that just really clicked in my brain. I was like, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense with me. But that's how it was for me too with Brian Kane. Whenever he said that, it was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like, if I do something every day. Uh, the only option is that I'm going to get better. Right. How, so like with all this, like this COVID-19 outbreak stuff, how, how is that really, does that change up your training at all quite a bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, like I can break it down, like by pitching or by throwing and lifting. So for me, pitching and throwing that side of it really like hasn't, um, been that difficult for me because like, I have a set of weighted balls. I have bands. Like, I have enough equipment to where, like, I'm able to go find a wall somewhere in Fort Worth, Texas that I can throw weighted balls against. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were talking before the show how you uh, you got kicked out of, what was it, a middle school or something? Yeah, I got kicked in my hometown. <laughs> like, Dude, it's like, crazy. Next place. Yeah, so me and me and one of my high school buddies, uh, Blair Henley, he's a, he's a guy, he's in the Astros organization, but... Uh, we uh we actually go up to this middle school in Fort Worth and we throw against this little like I guess it's like a lawnmower shed or whatever. Uh it's like this brick shed and I mean dude, we it's so it's it just reminds me of JUCO. Like we just go out there and yeah. like it's a track and we're like foam rolling and stretching and throwing these weighted balls against this shed and then we go out and long toss on their field and there's like dirt clumps and the grass isn't cut and all this stuff. But yeah, so like getting back to the question, um from the throwing aspect of it, I really haven't taken any steps back. I think, I think I've been pretty good on that. But the, I mean, the tough part for me has just been the lifting. Um, 
you know, you just you just can't replicate a weight room, you know. I, know. I just found out today. I, I was throwing with a kid that's actually committed to John A. today. I, I got I couldn't find anybody else, so I hit this kid up because he lives nearby. I was like, hey, you want to go throw? And he's like, yeah, what time? So we meet up and we're throwing at this high school football field. I was like, so what have you been doing, like, just as far as trying to get, like, a replicated lift? And he's like, oh, I got a, I got a weight room in my garage. It's actually pretty nice. I was like, well, shoot, I'm going to start coming and lifting with you. Yeah, for real. I was like, I, was I, like, I, I miss the gym now. Yeah, honestly, dude. I wish I had that. So what I've been doing, like, um, Coach Dakin's been great. He's sent us a lot of stuff that we can do without equipment. So I don't think I've, like, necessarily taken any steps back in that, in that regards. But uh, like I said, nothing can replicate a weight room. Right. But so what I've been doing is my dad cut down a tree uh, about a month ago, about a couple of weeks before COVID-19. And he's got all these logs in the backyard and a couple of them are like 150 pounds. Like they're pretty big. So I've literally just been taking those things and using them as barbells. So I've just been doing like front squat, reverse lunge, um, rear foot elevated split squats with those. Like just been holding them or putting them, um, you know, in a front squat anterior loaded position. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. Like I'm literally in my backyard, like on my patio, lifting logs. <laughs> that's that's kind of similar. Like what I've done. Like I took a five gallon bucket and like I filled it with concrete. Like I've been lifting cinder blocks. Like yeah. I mean, this sounds like the most JUCO stuff ever. Like we got we got this PVC pipe with like water in these five gallon buckets. We're doing squats with. Like I told I made a comment to somebody the other day. I was like, I feel like I'm training to fight. Devon Drago in Russia. Bro. I know. I know. I kind of love it, dude. Like, you just get down and dirty. Like, I mean, this fun. is a different kind of Juco grind. Like, bro, it is. It this really is the Eric Sim prison workout. Oh, every my day. God. Eric Sim, man. <laughs> dude, that, I mean, that guy, like, that guy lives for this kind of stuff. Like, he's made for a global pandemic. <laughs> Did you see his fucking weights he made? He's got yeah. these, like, cinder black. I know. Dude, he's, he's such a beast. He, uh, What's he working on trying to throw 85 left-handed? Yeah. And he's, he's a naturally right-handed, obviously, but... See, that's a, like that's something, like, I've been doing... I've been throwing right-handed. Like, I'm a left-handed pitcher, obviously. Yeah. But I've been working on throwing right-handed since my junior year of high school. And this dude's going to come up here and try to pass everybody up. I know Bauer's doing the same thing. He is? Yeah, he's, like, day 36 now, I think it is. How uh, how hard do you throw right-handed? Me? I'm, I, can, I've, I can hit 75 on a crow hop. But it's like, bad. like I could I could play I could go out there and play catch right handed on the foul line in front of a coach and he would have no idea that I'm left handed. Really? That's pretty. And then cool. like I mean I can long toss it a little bit. Yeah. But like until you like get me on the bump you're like damn he only throws seventy miles an hour. Yeah right. <laughs> but like from sixty feet seventy feet I mean I just looked like I mean I look normal. That's pretty cool man I I might start doing that honestly. Which I was I've talked to a. Uh, different uh sports psychologists before and apparently it's it's good for you because it's training the other side of your brain yeah so like perception yeah so i guess i could be wrong on this but i guess like for left-handed people like you're using your right side of your brain yeah i've heard that as well yeah i guess i think uh i think bauer is doing that for for command so i think you're right about that where it really helps you use both sides of the brain yeah so i mean it's it's something like for me it's something fun to do like, I've got yeah. videos throughout this process. Like, I'm first starting, and I'm just, like, looking all <laughs> dumb. And then now I'm, like, taking slow motion video. I'm like, damn, is that a shoulder spiral? Like, what, yeah, are, we, what are we got here? I can see layback right there. Yeah. Dude, uh, do you know who Trey Dillard is? I don't know. 
So I didn't know who it was either, but I actually have a buddy, uh, Tom Scoro, plays at Mizzou, uh-huh. and this guy Trey Dillard plays at Mizzou as well. And I noticed that he, uh, he, dude, he's so he's a righty, and he's like he's like ninety five to ninety nine. Like I think he's Wait, been up to hundred. I, I think I saw this on Twitter. Yeah, he, he a like video of him throwing left handed. Yeah, he quoted Bauer. Yes, that's where I saw Bauer doing his challenge. He, yeah, he pulled down ninety five left handed. Yeah, and hit eighty seven on a no, dude. He's just a righty. What, did he just start this, like, recently? Or? Uh, dude, I don't know. That's a good question. I just saw the video, and then I reached out to Tom, who, who plays at Mizzou, and he was like, yeah, he's, a, he's just a regular right-handed pitcher. I need to get this guy on here. Yeah, dude, you should. You should, bro. He went to Sanjak, too, I'm pretty sure. I, that's another – I need to get Rudd on here, too. Yeah, for sure, dude. You, so, dude, you, got a lot, you could do this for the rest of the summer, man. You got so many guys that, that need to come on. Jackson Rutledge, if you're listening to this, I'm about to send you a text. <laughs> Dude, um, but no, this guy this guy hit – so Trey Diller, he hit 87 on a flat ground from the left side, and he's yeah, a right I saw this video. I'm like, I'm starting to feel bad about myself. Like, what did I do yeah. wrong right Dude, I don't – I legitimately don't know if I could hit 87 on a flat ground right-handed right now, and he can just do it left-handed. It's insane. I've hit 87 like over a year. <laughs> <laughs> For real, bro. That's crazy. Uh, how have you been handling, handling all this stuff? I know you kind of talked about it, but, like, have you been able to throw for the most part? Yeah, like, I've, I mean, I haven't missed a throw day since all this started. I actually threw yeah. right before. We took a test earlier today. I threw before that. Yeah. But, like, this entire, most, I only threw one inning in the fall because I was coming off an injury from the summer. So, like, just now kind of getting back into it. Like, I feel I'm, a, I'm finally now at 100%. Right. And like, I hate that obviously our season had to end because of this coronavirus, but it, um, it's helped me a lot with my rehab still to be able to get healthy, like be on kind of like my own schedule again. Yeah, yeah. But like I, I threw a pin the other day inside and I was sitting 85 and then like, damn, it's been a while since I've done that. Right. But inside right. with no adrenaline. Yeah, no, that's good for sure. Yeah, so it's, there's obviously it's, there's it's perks like this whole COVID breaks got its perks and it's also a, it sucks gosh we're trying to win I trying to win a national title at the same right. time right but I'm just glad but, that everybody got their year back yeah for sure I think that was I mean 100 percent the the right thing to do I mean if if they uh-huh. didn't do that then I mean it would just show you how more criminal the NCAA is but and speaking you know, of that moving on to our uh, our next topic here <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we talked a little bit about it. Yeah. off camera but let's bring it like i'm just gonna pose this question i know this is gonna be there's gonna be a lot of sides to this for our viewers listening but do you think college athletes should get paid um dude i don't know because i like 100 percent think that um football players that bring in millions of dollars of revenue should absolutely get paid like you're telling me johnny manzel isn't allowed to make a single dollar and Texas A&M raked in, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars off right. of his likeness. But then again, at the same time, um, there's so many athletes out there that don't bring in any money. Mm-hmm. So the logistics side of it would be hard. But I mean, dude, I think it's just absolutely criminal um, that you got Robert Griffin Third or you got Johnny Manziel or Tim Tebow raking in billions of dollars off of their name and they can't see a dime of that money that's absolutely terrible so yes i do think 
certain college athletes should be paid, but I, <laughs> I, I think it would be very, very challenging to pay all of them. And, you know, baseball, basketball, and football are one thing, but you start talking about lacrosse, you start talking about rifle, you start talking about equestrian, like, those I feel like, just I feel like one thing that would be easier to be, like, if you're just talking about, like, just the individual with their likeness and say, like, like I'm not saying, like, full-on sponsorships or, like, shoe deals or something like that, which are, like, just little things like that that were, like, being able to hold a camp behind your name, you know, yeah. like, like, stuff like that, from saying, which right now it would get flagged by the NCAA. Right. Like, if Harrison beat the pigeon camp, boom, you're ineligible. Yeah, because you're bringing in that cash. I just think that little stuff like that, or one thing like I talk about, like they're talking about bringing back NCAA baseball. Well, if they're doing that and they're putting our, I guess they're talking about putting the actual names in. Are you talking about the video game? Yeah. Okay. So like, if you got TCU on NCAA baseball 21, and it's got Harrison Beatty right there, I feel like it should be some kind of at least kind of similar to be able to get a royalty from that. It's kind of like the big big guys are from. Like say the show or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, like, it's just it's just simple. Like, if if you're gonna use my name to make money, then why in the world should I not be able to to get at least some of that, if not all of it, honestly? But like, at least some of it. And I think you brought up a good point too. Like, I don't think people understand how strict the rules are with the NCAA on this. Like, we were talking before the show. You can't make a dollar off of this show because your name is on the uh, the graphic. Like it's, that's possible. Yeah, because that and and it's coming back to me because because I am hosting and I have like my name is in it, but like yeah, like I get what you're saying there. But like, how can like you're committed to Akron Division One? Like, what is Akron? Like, how does that hurt Akron in any way? That's, that's I mean. And how does well, that affect the NCAA in any way? Exactly. I mean, the, and the NCAA is a billion-dollar company. Right. Like, I'd say, if anything, it brings more awareness to the sport and to the NCAA in general. For sure. And, like, if you got guys, like, if you got guys that are getting out there and getting other college guys on there, like, I mean, NCAA, we're getting athletes out there. It's like me, like me and you right now. It's athlete talking to athlete. Yeah. Like we're, we're promoting each other, promoting the sport of baseball. I mean, we're diving into good context, but then I just got to kind of do it as a hobby for now until I get out of school. Yeah. Which I get that it sucks, but. Yeah. Just... Well, I mean, I think um, also, you know, you think about like guys like Erickson who are, who are bringing awareness to the game of baseball and like making it fun. Like baseball is going through in general is going through a time where younger viewers, like, younger people in our generation, like, they don't like baseball that much. Like, they're more interested in basketball and football. Baseball's, like, in a way, dying off in terms of popularity. And I think a lot of that is because the NCAA and the MLB, like, restrict the content a lot. 100%. And it's just, like, why, like, yes, you might lose a little bit of money up front, but in the long run, in the next 10 years, if, you're gra- if your game grows, you're going to end up making that money back tenfold. I mean, it's just... If you really think about long term, like long term goals, like that, the right thing to do is allow your players to have a voice and allow them to to be able to um, freely, you know, support your sport and uh, promote it on their social media accounts or whatever the case may be. And that's why I feel like I'm I'm such big fans of guys like Trevor Bauer, who's the co-founder co-founder of Watch Momentum, yeah, and guys like that who actually have a big presence on social media that are getting 
the younger generation of the game out there. And there's another guy that's coming up who I'm sure you're familiar with is Robbie Rowland. Oh, yeah, Robbie Rowe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talked to him quite a few times because I'm helping him out with some <laughs> different media stuff. Dude, Robbie Rowe, that guy, I mean, you will not find a weirder guy in the world, but it's absolutely hilarious, and I love it. Hey, he's a journeyman, man. Dude, he, I mean, he really is. Like, going, like, I'm gonna, I'll text Robbie after this, tell him we're throwing his name out there, but. I've interacted with Robbie a couple times on social media as well. Yeah, he's got, I mean, he's been through it all. I mean, he's a third-round draft pick out of high school that yep. was committed to Oregon, and then goes out there, gets in the pro ball. He's had, he's gone with a few, had a few injuries, and then now he comes back from a lad injury, and he's 97, 98, 99. On a flat with, ground. With an absolute banger. Yeah. Like, He's, Dude, I'm not, telling not, you guys, not, for you guys, listen, I know there's a couple player development guys that follow our Twitter page. I mean, Robbie Rowland is coming, and he's coming in full speed. Yes, and he will be in the big leagues in the next year. I will guarantee you that. I, I, I'm 100% behind it. Like, yeah. And you won't find a guy who interacts with his fault. I mean, he's got, between all four of his social media accounts, he's got over, I'd say, close to 200,000 followers. Yeah. And the dude, I mean, the dude interacts with his fans. He's getting on live. He's like, he's wanting to be, he's a personable dude. Like, there's not For a lot sure. of guys out there in professional baseball like that. No, and I think I think that's kind of what separates Robbie is he does interact with his fans. Like, I've DM'd him before, and every single time I've DM'd him, he's gotten back to me. Every mm-hmm. every time I've commented on his post, he responds or he likes it. And that just makes you feel, like, feel good, and it makes you uh, like his content even more. And he, like, one thing he, like, shoot... One thing he puts out there so well is like, he's putting out good content that people are using. He's putting together e- ebooks on. He's got a couple mobility ebooks, like a couple yeah. ebooks on his throwing, like program that he does. And he's, he's like, he's getting this younger generation involved because he's taking that niche that he's got on social media and just kind of pushing out his content out there. And I know he does a lot of stuff with Dr. Heenan. Yeah. He's got does a lot of. He's got his thing called the 90 mile hour formula. Which, what are kind of your thoughts on that? I mean, I think the 90 mile an hour formula is is, is amazing for younger athletes. But um, and I mean, everything that he talks about is absolutely vital to to throwing hard and to being a good pitcher. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's an end all be all. You know, right. like you can't, and he and he says the same thing. And he says the same thing. You're yeah. right, exactly. But yeah, I love it. I mean, reverse lunge, like that stuff, is really important. Body weight pull ups, everything on that formula is absolutely a, a blueprint of what you want to do if you're a novice athlete starting out, wanting to get stronger, wanting to throw harder, wanting to be a better athlete. One hundred percent. And it, I mean, it completely makes sense. You get bigger, you get faster, and you're stronger, more athletic. Or, I mean, you're gonna throw harder. Absolutely, man. It's and that's the one thing about it. Is one thing about Robbie Rowe that I really like is uh, just how like. He's just himself at all times. Oh, yeah. He has no regard for any any thoughts, anything. He's himself, and he puts it all on the line. He's so vulnerable in the way that he shows you exactly who he is. And that's why he puts out really good content is because he, he doesn't care. He does what he does and he, what he wants to do. And I think that's why people love his content. Yeah, I mean, he's just like I said before. He's such a personal guy. He's somebody he's easy to connect with. Right. And I'll tell you one thing that blows my mind. Beard. Does have a great beard. I'm pretty sure that's where 89% of the velo comes from. Yeah, 89.3, <laughs> I think, is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. But his dad's a former big league catcher. Yeah. And like, you see these videos. He's sitting mid-90s. I know. You got his dad it. out there just sticking it. 
I know, sitting on a freaking bucket. I wouldn't even be. I wouldn't do that. I'm scared to do that. No, like, like I'll tell you, like back. We talked about Rudd a little bit earlier. Some of the scariest times of my life are playing catch with Jackson Rutledge, and he's barely throwing, and it's 91, 92 right. from 50, 60 feet away. I can't imagine, dude. <laughs> we got, we were playing catch. We were, this is when we were still in the the sports barn before we got the new building. Yeah, the white background. So. Yeah. We got a white background. He's like, all right, I'm going to throw sliders. And I'm just like, shit. <laughs> like, uh, Kiesel, you want to take this over? <laughs> yeah. Come on, Josh. <laughs> Shout out, Josh Kiesel. Yeah. Another great beard. Yeah. What is, I mean, Velo and beards, performance training, beards. How long, how long have you been at P3? Uh, this is my third year. Okay. What would you say, like, the biggest just overall takeaway from training there has been? So, for me, the biggest overall takeaway for me is just kind of learning how to, like, move efficiently. It's kind of yeah. like we talked earlier. Like, if you go back and watch my my initial first videos, we're getting all those angles. Like, I I didn't have – I had no, like, corkscrew in my backside. I was drifting real bad. And a little drift isn't bad, which, you know, talking Ben Brewster. Mm-hmm. He's real big on that hip drift. But, like, I was yeah. falling forward – easy like I was everything I was had my heel coming off the ground with my push off I was kind of a little all over the place and I was still like I came in after my senior year and I was still I mean it was 83 84 like from the left side like yeah I mean I mean it's not good but it's it's not terrible definitely not where I wanted to be and then we're going in I'm kind of learning how to map my lower half just kind of the different things that I've learned because I be able to, to stay and watch how those guys interact with other people. Yeah. Being able to see like what they're telling them, how they're doing it, how it's applying to them, and how I can apply that to myself to be able to reteach myself. That's, I mean, dude, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what, what I was going to say. Um, just hanging out there, dude. Like, whenever I was there in the summer, like, I'd spend like five, six hours a day there. Yeah. And I'm in I'd get in. I'm live two hours away. For you, it's yeah. 18. Yeah. I don't have anything else to do. Right. But I mean, I would get in there and I'd, I'd get my training done. I'd get my throwing done within about, you know, two hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would literally just sit there and, and just talk with Miney, talk with Forrest, talk with Steph, talk yeah. with Kiesel. Just watch how they how they train athletes and just try to absorb knowledge. Like, dude, that's so beneficial. I, I couldn't tell you how many times that I've literally I've just sat there at in a chair by the Rapsodo or by the by the mound and like just trying to learn what all those numbers mean try to try to figure out why this guy's vertical breaks high why it's low or he's got this spit efficiency so why is that affecting this or his spin axis just kind of just learning all the the raw data and how i can use that and affect it for my game for when i'm going through my rap set of days it's sure. like okay like i got my fastball at 98 percent spin efficiency and then i'm trying to i'm throwing my slider at 20 25 percent i know it's going to tunnel better there so it's kind of like just learning that, those kind of numbers and what they can mean and how I can help myself in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, whenever I came in, like my first couple days at P3, I was working with Forrest and, and he was like, okay, for the first two weeks, like I'm going to be right by you and I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to help you out with mm-hmm. everything. But after those two weeks are over, like you're on your own, man. Like I'm here for any questions you ever have through the whole time you're here. But after these first two weeks, I'm not holding your hand. And when he told me that, I was like, I'm paying this dude. What, what's he talking about? 
he's not going to hold my hand. Like, I'm paying him to train me, and he's telling me that he's not going to be next to me training me. And so it kind of pissed me off. But then once I got into it, and once I got about a month into it, I realized the reason that he did that is so that I would take it upon myself to learn. Therefore, I would understand, in my mind, better what he's trying to teach me. And I think that was really beneficial. Honestly, you inject the words out of my mouth there. And I'm sure, I know Forrest followed our page here, and I'm sure he's going to hear this at some point because you got Beefy coming on. But, like, he's the same thing, same way. I had I had Forrest and Mitch that really took me in my first year. And they're, just, they're telling me, it's like, hey, like, we're going to be here. We're going to teach you. We're going we're gonna to do your walkthrough. But kind of same thing you said, like, you're going to be on your own. And for, there was a, I mean, there was, I've had days before I've just gone through and I've absolutely hated Forrest. Well, I'm just, there's days I'm just, we've all been there. <laughs> like, I'm looking, I'm looking at it and I'm like, this dude's a fucking dick. Like, what is his yeah. problem? But then I'm, I look back on it when that summer's over. I'm like, trying to think about what he said. I was like, no, that dude, that dude fucking cares. Yeah. Cause like, he's doing it for a reason. Like if, if I can, if I can train my body to feel that certain movement and I can teach myself and connect it with my brain and put that into action. And that's what, I mean, that's all they're doing in a sense is trying to get that muscle memory, which muscle memory doesn't exist. Like right there, but yeah, air quotes. Yeah. And he's like those guys, like if you can train your brain to be able to get your body in those efficient positions and then going through and doing it, I mean, that's where you, that's when you're starting to see those big velo jumps. Yeah. I think uh, on a macro scale, that's what, I think that's what makes coaches the best. And you were talking about how you think Forrest is an asshole sometimes. And I thought the same thing. And I kind of relate that to Dakent in a sense where I thought he was an asshole when I first met him. And I Mm -hmm. thought Coach Sloss was an asshole when I first met him. But once you really understand their rhyme and reason behind what they're doing, you understand that it makes you a better player or a better athlete or whatever you're trying to do. And I think that's why, that's why they do it. It's, I mean, and you said, I mean, similar thing you were talking about with Herget, and it's the same thing with Force and these guys. I mean, the reason there's a reason these guys are signing professional contracts. I mean, yeah. now you got Forrest working alongside Kyle Bodie in the Reds organization, and I believe what Herger's in the Phillies organization now. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, there's a reason these guys are getting picked up by these organizations because they're the best. They're they know out. What they're doing exactly. And especially like on the scale, like P3, and you got Brian DeLunas out there in Seattle, and you got Forrest now, and like they're producing these trainers that are getting in, they're going out, and it's kind of like a little Juco pipeline where who's the next guy up? Well, we got, yeah, we got Mitch down there, he's like, he's getting that knowledge. You got Miney coming up next, there's no telling who's gonna sign that guy, <laughs> dude. Yeah, he's gonna be great. I think, Actually, uh, I got Miney coming on here Friday, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That's going to yeah. be a good one. I'm, I'm excited for that one. Miami, man. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be able to. That's going to be like a 14-hour show. I could, I could talk about yeah. pitching all day. I know, dude. You could bounce stuff off that guy forever. Yeah. No, but I think um, I think P3, like I talked about Cameron Laugh. I talked about Coach Herg, and I think P3 is another one of those um, stepping stones along my career that if without them, like, all those guys without them I, I wouldn't be where I where I am today and I just owe so much of and like I haven't like I haven't even like had that much success but like I what for what I've done from where I've came like I owe all of it to the people along the way that have helped me out and I'm extremely grateful 
for for Coach Hergert and for all the guys at P3 because they really they really buy into the player performance and they really care about their players and I mean that's how you get the best results. Hundred percent. And another thing, one thing I love about P3 so much is is they like the without P3 like we don't meet each other. We don't make right. that that connection, that friendship. But there's so many guys, and I've got three or four guys on my team here at John A that are P3 guys. And, like, you meet these guys that are have that same common goal or you're wanting to learn. They're wanting to talk about this stuff. Like, I'm sure, like, even, like, all, even on camera, off camera, we could sit here. We could talk about movement patterns for hours. Yeah, we really could. And, just, <laughs> and it's just, like, the, those guys, everybody that are P3 wants to learn how to get better. And then you got, like, like you said, we're, chill, we're chilling there for five, six hours. Yeah. We're talking about we're talking to each other. I mean, it's about pitching. It's Every about out, output. It's like, okay, what what are you doing to get better? Like, how are we doing this? Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's that family there. Dude, it's crazy. I think um, I was thinking about this honestly before I came on. Like, it's so cliche, and I and I hate cliches, but they're always so true. Like, baseball is so much more than a game. Oh, for sure. Like, I would never be on this podcast if it were for baseball, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have met Cam Lap, who's one of my best friends. I wouldn't have met Ryan, uh, Ryan Swanson, Michael O, like Tom Scoro, like these guys at Nyack that are my best friends. Like they're gonna be in my wedding. Like I wouldn't have met all these people if it weren't through this this game that revolves around this little ball that weighs five ounces. Right. Like, if it weren't for for baseball, like so much of my life, I, I don't know, I don't even know what I would be doing. And it's just awesome to like make that relationship with all these different people. And it's it's so crazy. It's like there's. And like obviously the guys, that, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, and the guy, the players that are playing now, just there's that game within the game, but there's also there's so many lessons that baseball shows us throughout the game. Yeah. Whether it be going through adversity or getting better, that staying diligent to a task and being able to be able to complete something. Yep. I think I mean this game does so much for people that it's we overlook it sometimes, and I think over this COVID-19 break that a lot of people have realized that your career or this game can get taken away from you just like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I talked about with Nathan Rohde on my last podcast is how much better I think college baseball is going to get in the sense of I think people realize that this game could go any time that people are starting to put in the work now yep. a little more so than they have been in the past. I think the next few years of baseball – especially amateur baseball, are going to be off the charts. No doubt, dude. No doubt. I think so, – uh, what's up? Go ahead. I think baseball, like, parallels life in so many different ways. And when I think about my career specifically, like, after going – after starting from literally, like, rock bottom in this sport and, like, reaching somewhat of a, of a higher level, it just, like – showed me that I'm capable to do whatever I want to do so long as I just commit myself 100% and work my absolute tail off to reach that goal. doesn't matter if I'm trying to be a doctor, I'm trying to be a lawyer, if I'm trying to start a business. doesn't matter if I'm trying to make a relationship with somebody. It doesn't matter if I'm playing a sport. Whatever it is that I want to do, I'm going to be able to do that. And baseball has like helped me realize that in so many different ways. 100%. And I think you, and you could talk to any baseball player, especially I think it hits more so with with JUCO players. And there's a lot of guys. I mean, there's still a lot of people out there in the country that don't understand what JUCO baseball is about. Like, I, feel like you, I think it gets overlooked quite a bit. 
and I mean, you'll, you'll have people get commit to JUCO and they'll be taking shit for it, be like, oh, you're only going to JUCO. Yeah. Oh, if you look, you look at the big leagues. I mean, JUCO. There's JUCO guys all over the big leagues. Absolutely, bro. And especially with college base, college baseball is nothing without JUCO guys. Yeah, no doubt. Like, like dude, I, I literally think uh, like seven of our nine starters were JUCO guys this year. Like, I know with Akron, obviously, with them having the program rebuild, I, I'm coming into a program that's got over 35 former JUCO dudes. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy, bro. Like that, I mean, obviously, not a lot of schools are like that, but there's still, you got to, coming from a JUCO, it makes you appreciate the game more. Yeah, I agree. Especially, like, you're talking about with you at Ranger, coming from the smaller school, going into a little bit higher in JUCO at Nyack. I know for me going to Coastal last year, Coastal Alabama, and like just seeing the difference like between Coastal's a great school, but like just seeing the difference in like the facilities and stuff like that, and then I come here to John A and it's like I feel like I'm in the SEC at JUCOs here. <laughs> yeah. The turf field, you got the track man, the rap soto, like we got the, the facilities are just top notch, and then I'm just like going through that transition, I'm like what gets better than this? And then you gotta right. just you put like on top of that, with a great coaching staff, and it's the same thing for you at Nyack. Yeah, exactly. I just can't. It blows my mind, and that for me personally, like I had never been. The first John A. baseball game I'd ever been to was on my visit last year, this last summer in the region tournament, and I live twenty minutes from campus. Oh dang! I didn't know you were that close. Yeah, I, and. Like I was one of those guys that like kind of like overlooked JUCO too because I was I always had that mindset is I'm gonna I'm going to play Division One baseball, and then I just didn't have that mindset. Well, maybe I'm two years behind that I need to go get better somewhere else first. Right. I'm, I come to JUCO and you, you just get that better that bigger appreciation for the game and then for you as a player it's figuring out who you really are. Yeah. For me, I know JUCO. I like. Legitimately, when I was in high school, if you would have said the word JUCO to me, I wouldn't even know what it meant. Oh, 100%. I mean, it, it was that small. And I have McLennan an hour and a half away. I got Grayson, like, two hours away. I got San Jack in Houston. Like, I got all these schools, and I had no clue what it was. And for me, coming out of high school, it wasn't that I made a decision to go to JUCO. Like, those are my only, like, chances. Like, those are my only opportunities to play baseball. We're at two JUCOs. And I'm so grateful for those because it showed me, like, a different side of the game of baseball and it showed me honestly like how uh like how raw and like just how much uh work you need to put in to like get to the level that you want to be at and honestly like it taught me such a hard work ethic such a good work ethic from starting at the bottom at a place like that and in a way actually for sure i'm so grateful that i was able to have those opportunities because i think back and like if i would have been a division one commit out of high school like, I would have never gone through all these life experiences that I went through. Mm -hmm. and I never would have understood the value of hard work and dedication. Without JUCO, like, I never would have those in my life. So, like, I'm so thankful for, for junior college baseball and that aspect of it. I think with a lot of things, like, we've got, like, a lot of, like, I know for both of us, we've got that common goal that we want to play professional baseball. And it's like, like we said earlier, there's so many guys playing professional baseball in the big leagues that are coming from JUCOs. And it's it's like it's they're they're there in the big leagues and all these these fans on the outside see these great players, and I would bet almost ninety percent of your your fans would be like best they probably played at this big fancy division one yeah. they got drafted out of high school, but it's just that 
you get to that higher level and it's just a respect factor that you're good at the game. It doesn't matter what your path was yep. to get there. What matters was is you busted your ass and you got to that point to be able to play at that level. Absolutely, bro. Big it's like, it's one like it's one thing like it's crazy for me to think about it. Like when you're telling your story like your freshman year of high school, you're talking about how you're low velo now to being up to ninety seven, ninety eight yeah. in college. Like, that's just a whirlwind turnaround. That just shows the work that you've put in over the last five, six years. Absolutely. I think um I think kinda like to wrap things up and for our listeners, like for me, my mindset, dude, it's so weird. Like my mindset in high school was like I was just so confident. Like I, I always knew that I had that ability. Even when I was throwing eighty one, eighty two in my senior year, I had zero offers. Like even at that point, like in my mind, for whatever reason, I don't know why it was like this, my mind was like, Yeah, I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be a big leader. Mm-hmm. And I think the bigger picture when you look at that it's like always have confidence in yourself and always like have that that underlying belief in yourself that you can do what you're trying to do. I know when Robert Griffin III won uh, the Heisman Trophy, I think it was like 2014, he said that this moment, like in his speech, he was like, this moment's unbelievably believable. Like it's unbelievable because I never thought I was here, but it's believable because I put in the hard work and I put in the time and effort. And like that's exactly how I feel is that like, I always, always had that like underlying confidence that I was going to be able to get to that point. And so if you're a listener and you're kind of like getting towards the end of your high school career and you're, and you're thinking like, man, like, I don't know if I have the talent or I don't know if I'm going to get there, change that mindset right now. Like have that mindset that like, I'm going to be a freaking Hall of Fame. I'm going to be a big league all-star. And at the end of the day, man, if you don't become a big league all-star, if you don't make the big leagues, like you're still going to have so much life experience you're still going to be you're probably going to be a draft pick you're probably going to be a division one athlete you know it's like the old adage shoot for the moon and if you don't get there at least you're on the stars like i i really am a big proponent of that and really a big believer of just setting goals extremely high and if you don't reach those really really high goals like at least you're still at a point where you're way better than where you started yeah 100 percent and kind of like just to wrap things up, like Harrison's coming in here with a lot of knowledge. Just most of it's from his, his life experiences that he's taken. And he goes with that quote there to shooting for the moon. If you miss your land amongst the stars, I mean, who's to tell you that you can't play major league baseball? Like, exactly. Like it's, if you put in the work, you go through it and somebody's going to see if you're talented, you're going to get signed. It's just got to, you got to keep getting better and better and better. And if you're not going to believe it, how in the world do you expect anybody else to believe it 100%. if you yourself don't even believe it? I know one of my favorite quotes is, if if people aren't laughing at your dreams, they're probably not big enough. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. one. That, I got that. I need, like, I've, I've thought about getting that tattooed on me. <laughs> yeah. And, like, honestly, like, I hate cliches because it's just, like, I just don't like them, but like, dude, they're they're all so true. Like, they all yeah. hold so much weight, and they they're so true. But other than that, which to wrap things up here, today episode four with Harrison Beathy, right-handed pitcher at TCU, former JUCO bandit. Uh, if you guys want to find Harrison on Twitter, it's going to be at Beathy four. That's, that's my bad. At H Beathy, I can't even read my own handwriting. Oh, it's at HBE4. That's H B E E T H E 4. Then, if you want to add anything, you're going to plug any other social profiles you got there. 
Yeah, just uh, Twitter HBT4 and then Instagram HarrisonBT4. Um, yeah, I mean, just shoot me a follow. Like, if you're a listener out there, young guy, old guy, whatever the case may be, you want to talk about anything, you have any questions for me, um, don't hesitate, man. Like, my DMs are always open. I'm always willing to talk. I'm always willing to uh, to talk about baseball, especially in this time with COVID-19 going on. I know a lot of us are itching to kind of get some stuff off our mind and just uh, sit back and reflect on the game and, and where it's taken us. So if, if anybody out there ever wants to talk or whatever, case may be, don't hesitate to, to shoot me a DM or reach out. Perfect. And just wrapping up there again, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, episode four will be posted Episode 5 will be coming up and posted very soon. Thank you. This is your Call to the Bullpen with Harrison Beathy, hosted by Ian McMahon.